0: I'm Roy Lee Lindsay with the North Carolina Pork Council, and I want everyone to remember, bacon makes everything better.
1: Welcome, everyone, to another week of the Old North State Tailgate presented by NC Fork. I'm Chris Edwards. Great to be with David Glenn. Hey, don't forget to subscribe to the podcast wherever you're watching or listening from, whether it's on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, or iHeart. We really appreciate your support of the show and tell your friends about it, too. Now, this week, we'll be in Chapel Hill for the Old North State Tailgate and Traveling Sports Circus. We'll be at the University United Methodist Church on Franklin Street. That's right across the street from Sutton's. So come by and see us from 5 to 7.30 on Saturday. The David Glenn Show this week, Thursday at 9 a.m. This week's featured guest, Virginia basketball coach Tony Bennett. And on Wild Dogs and Hogs this week, Mike and Coach Collins sit down with David Cutcliffe. All right, now time to get into a DG. It's time to break the huddle presented by the original Saltworks. Let's go back and look at games from last week, and we'll start with the big win for NC State at home, 20-6. to The Wolfpack beats Miami. Dave Doran now, the winningest coach in NC State football history. Yeah,
2: Chris, I just want you to know it warms my heart every time you add traveling sports circus to the name of this enterprise. Uh, And I'm glad you started with the State-Miami game because Dave Doran did reach a magical number, surpassing the legendary coach Earl Edwards as the winningest coach in Wolfpack football history. And I thought a big part of the story is that for the second second week in a row, Dave Doran led State to an important victory over an ACC opponent at Carter-Finley Stadium in a game where the opponent actually had arguably more talent overall. And that's the essence of good coaching, right? The question against both Clemson and Miami, as it became crystal clear that the defenses were better than the offenses in both of those games, it was going to be who could stick to the game plan, who could limit penalties and boneheaded mistakes, who could win the turnover battle, and then who could create just enough big plays offensively to win what was likely to be a low-scoring game. Sure enough, against Clemson, 24-17 Wolfpack. Against Miami, 20 to 6 Wolfpack. These are very low-scoring games by 2023 standards. And remember, the Clemson Tigers had a lot more first downs, a lot more yards than the Wolfpack in that game. But State won the turnover battle two zip. State had only two penalties against the Tigers. And then Peyton Wilson on demand from us at the old North State tailgate had that pick six for a touchdown as the Wolfpack scored defensively. And the young quarterback, MJ Morris, was asked to just manage the game, minimize mistakes, get the ball to the star receiver, Casey Concepcion, on passing and running plays. And that was the combination to beat the Tigers. Well, against Miami, it was a very similar blueprint with even better results The offense was again led by Concepcion. That was good enough, not great, but good enough offensively. And the defense, again led by Wilson, was absolutely brilliant. The Hurricanes, who had been averaging 35 points per game going into this one, had four turnovers and was limited to less than 300 yards of total offense. So huge hat tips to that 11th-year head coach of the Wolfpack, Dave Doran, Now with 78 career wins and alone atop that mountain, hat tip to Tony Gibson, the fifth year defensive coordinator of the pack, uh, who had a game plan that was brilliant and had his players executed to near perfection. And of course, the hat tip to the star linebacker, Peyton Wilson. He leads the ACC in tackles by a ton with about 12 per game, and he's probably going to be deservedly the ACC's defensive player of the year.
1: All right, let's dive into another game from this past week. It was not pretty on Thursday night at Wallace Wade Stadium in Durham, but the Blue Devils found a way to get it done with their third-string quarterback, Duke Beaks Wake Forest,
2: 24-21. Yeah, not pretty as being nice. It's crazy. The ACC needs more big numbers in terms of TV. We write about that every week at our website. We hope folks will check it out at ncsportsnetwork.com. The overall news for the ACC has been mostly good TV-wise this year, but when the Duke-Wake Forest game comes with the Deeks last in the ACC in scoring offense and the Devils playing their third-string true freshman quarterback, I thought that might be a Thursday night kind of hide-your-eyes game. The bottom line was it was a grinder, as expected, but Duke's third-string quarterback, Grayson Loftus, who, remember, was never supposed to see the field this season. But Riley Leonard was out with an injury. Backup Henry Beal in the fourth, out with an injury. Loftus was not great. He was only seven for 19 passing for 86 yards, a touchdown, and an interception. Those are not QB numbers that typically lead to victory. But he led two fourth-quarter scoring drives. After that great Duke defense kept the Devils in the game, and Duke came back from a 21-14 deficit in the fourth quarter to win 24-21. Wake actually finished that game, Chris, with a 400-267 edge in total yards, but the Deeks made some really uncharacteristic errors that frustrated Dave Claussen down the stretch. Two missed short field goals, a couple of really dumb penalties on Duke's game-winning drive. Again, uncharacteristic of Wake under Dave Clawson. Uh, but the Devils basically keep some of their dreams alive, and the Deeks fall to four and five with State and Notre Dame still on the schedule, meaning that long program best
1: uh, bowl streak for the Deacons is in serious jeopardy right now. Speaking of the Tar Heels, North Carolina, a 59 to seven win over Campbell at Keenan Stadium last week. Tar Heels kind of did what they needed to do, just got the job done and move on to this week. Yeah, we knew
2: they'd probably win and probably win big. 59 to 7 is what they should have done. But we wondered last week about the attendance for this game. And while the announced number was almost 48,000, and remember, that's just a few thousand short of the new capacity at Keenan Stadium, that number definitely better reflects tickets sold mm-hmm. because obviously there weren't nearly that many bodies in those seats on a beautiful sunny afternoon in Chapel Hill as the Tar Heels eventually, after a slow start, really hammered the Camels, That is only going to reinforce the endless questions about the football culture at UNC, because that's a 7-2 and football team that has spent most of the season ranked in the national top 25, and the Campbell contest was star quarterback Drake May's next-to-last home game with the Tar Heels, given his projection as a very high first-round NFL draft pick this coming spring. To the Tar Heels' credit in terms of execution, after that slow start against Campbell, they did everything they were supposed to do. They averaged almost 10 points or 10 yards per play on offense. They held Campbell to less than 300 yards of total offense with that sometimes shaky Carolina defense. So, in the end, it was exactly the result the Tar Heels needed on the field, but it
1: didn't stomp out any of those lingering questions off the field. And then the final game from last week, a big upset win for the Elon Phoenix on the road. They beat sixth ranked Delaware 33 to 27. And now Coach Triciani's team still has all of their goals in front of them, DJ.
2: Yeah, this is a big deal for multiple reasons. First, in the history of Elon football and the Blue Hens, you correctly announced uh, the number six national ranking. In another poll, they were actually in the top five. So for historical purposes, in the history of Elon football, the Phoenix has three wins over top five FCS opponents, and two of them are this season under fifth year head coach uh, Tony Triciani. We were there for the first one. That was the home victory over top five William and Mary. And this one was, as you said, on the road against a Delaware team that remember this, folks the Blue Hens had entered the game seven and one. And their only loss prior to Elon of the entire season had been at Penn State, where it's okay to lose, right? right? Number two, this win keeps Elon in the running for a Coastal Athletic Association Championship, which the Phoenix has never won. They've only been a member of the CAA since 2014. So that's not like an eternity statistic. But a first time it would, would be a heck of a special time. Phoenix is five-and-one in the league. Challenging road trip this week to Richmond, another team kind of in that mass there tied for first place. And then they have a regular season finale where they'll be the favorite against Hampton. And then finally, as much as I respect this year's Elon team and we've seen them in person and otherwise, it won at Delaware in a way I never would have imagined. The Phoenix is really good on defense, which is Tony Trisciani's forte as a former defensive coordinator. But this team sometimes struggles offensively. At Delaware, though, veteran quarterback Matthew Downing deserves a shout-out. Previously played for the Georgia Bulldogs at TCU at Louisiana Tech. The guy had the best game of his entire college career when the Phoenix really needed it at top five Delaware. Career high, 352 passing yards, three touchdown passes, no interceptions. Junior wide receiver and return man Chandler Brayboy, who first caught our eye when the Phoenix played at Wake Forest to open this season, also had a huge game. So shout out to him for his career high, 269 all-purpose yards, a huge step in the right
1: direction of what might still be a special season for the Phoenix. All right, when we come back, we'll have our Sport Clips MVP of the week presented by Sport Clips. And as we go into break, here are all the scores from last week's games involving North Carolina college football teams with our Jimmy scoreboard right here on the old North State tailgate. The Original Saltworks has been serving the Wilmington area for over 50 years. Owner Bob Hubbard and his staff create a welcome atmosphere to go along with their home-cooked breakfast and lunch that simply cannot be rivaled anywhere in North Carolina. Eggs, waffles, hot dogs, crab cakes, and the best grits in the state. The Original Saltworks, a proud partner of the North Carolina Sports Network. Welcome back to our old North State tailgate presented by NC Fork. I'm Chris Edwards. Great to be with David Glenn. And it's time for our Hot Reads of the Week presented by Lawson Insurance and High Street Insurance Partners. DG, we were just talking about all the great things going on with our state in terms of college football. There's still a couple of coaches out there in our state that are on the hot seat. Sean Clark, Mike Houston, the seat getting a little warmer for both of those guys as we head later into the season.
2: Yeah, it's been interesting to follow that because in our state, of course, we have seven FBS teams, meaning the top level of college football. We are watching kind of the Mac Brown, will he retire story in Chapel Hill. We are watching the Mike Elko, will somebody lure him away from Duke story in Durham. But in terms of hot seats, Sean Clark at App State, Mike Houston at ECU have been stories unfolding uh, really since mid-season. The good news for the Mountaineers and for Sean Clark and his staff is that App State is now five and four. They've won two in a row, and you could argue they're playing their best football of the season, which is a positive reflection on any coach and his staff. That 31-9 to stomping of Marshall this past weekend at Kid Brewer Stadium in Boone, I thought was their best game of the entire season. That's a huge step forward. Although obviously the Mountaineers still have three challenging opponents remaining: six and three Georgia State on the road this week, nine and zero oh, James Madison on the road the following week, and then six and three Georgia Southern at home to close the regular season in what is a more difficult than it has been in the past Sun Belt, I would argue. Remember that Sean Clark is a former Mountaineers offensive lineman. He is beloved by segments of that fan base, but has other segments upset that he went only six and six last year and obviously got off to a rough start this year at east carolina meanwhile mike houston's pirates have dropped to one and eight on the season and they're the only team in the american athletic conference that has not yet won a single game against a league opponent because mike houston has previously been a successful head coach unlike sean clark at places like lenore ryan and the citadel and james madison and because mike houston unlike sean clark just took the Pirates to back to back bowl games these last two years. I think Houston will get more of that benefit of the doubt from his administration at ECU, but it certainly would not hurt if the Pirates, who did play well in a 13 to 10 loss to number 24 Tulane this past week, you know, maybe the Pirates' best game of the season, at least against an FBS opponent, if the Pirates can finish strongly, follow that close loss against the top 25 opponent with at least some success against Florida, Atlantic, Navy, and Tulsa down the stretch here, those three opponents all have losing records, as do the Pirates, that would at least change the tone of the conversation about Mike Houston. So as we're here in mid-November, there's still a chance that both of those guys lose their jobs, uh, but I think there's also still a chance that both of those guys keep their jobs.
1: All right, our last hot read of the week, I'm going to ask you to put your uh, lawyer hat on for a second if you can. There's a new court case on the books right now that really makes you wonder about the future of the NCAA.
2: Yeah, our viewers and listeners and readers may have heard recently about a court case known as House versus NCAA. The plaintiffs are arguing that there there are three different categories of lost earnings for recent college athletes. One is money from NIL deals that they would have gotten before they changed the rules to allow name image likeness money. One is money from video game deals, and one is money from broadcast TV rights. These college athletes from 2016 to 2020, why doesn't it go back farther? Well, because antitrust law doesn't allow you to go back forever even if you were wronged. They only let you go back four four years. So a federal judge just ruled that rather than House versus NCAA, actually the name of the case comes from a former Arizona State swimmer named Grant House. That's where House versus NCAA comes from. It's one thing if Grant House and a handful of other current and former athletes, won a case against the NCAA and then got their money in those three categories. What happened recently is that the federal judge said that she would certify the case as a class action case. That means rather than three or four or five or six people suing the NCAA and maybe winning, It's their rep, those small number of people are representing more than 10,000 former athletes from 2016 through 2021. This is not a small uh, development in this case. That means if the NCAA ultimately loses, and again, the case is not here yet, if the NCAA loses, it likely would cost them more than a billion dollars with a B and possibly billions, plural. Now, the NCAA has a lot of money through the March Madness NCAA Men's Basketball Tournament, but it does not have billions hanging around, right? It distributes most of that money to the member institutions. Now, last thing, while some headlines have described this recent ruling as, quote, unquote, I saw in the headlines, the death of the NCAA, I would urge fans to look at it a little bit differently as a step forward toward a new framework for college athletics as we know it. I don't believe the NCAA is going to disappear. This House case is not even going to go to trial until 2025, more than a year from now. That leaves some time for the NCAA to continue to lobby Congress for some sort of antitrust exemption or some sort of new legal framework that will govern The future of college athletics. We'll see how that goes. No progress with the United States Congress for the NCAA to this point. But there's also the possibility that the NCAA strikes some sort of collective bargaining agreement or something like it, as we see in professional sports all the time, with some sort of futuristic union-style group representing college athletes. I think that's where we're headed. Uh, And that's just a reminder with that House versus the NCAA getting a lot of those headlines this
1: week. All right. Time now for our Sport Clips MVP of the Week presented by Sports Clips. And for that, we send it over to our pal, Mike Waddell. Mike?
3: Mike Waddell, Coach Jim Collins, and Coach David Cutcliffe with you here on the old North State Tailgate and Traveling Sports Circus as we get ready for week number 11 of the college. And Coach, it's been a while. we got to ask you. You're down in Birmingham. You're living the big life in the SEC. What's on your mind in this ever-changing world of college football these days?
0: Maybe, maybe do we have five hours? <laughs>
3: <laughs> uh,
0: a lot. Uh, first of all, I'm thrilled to, to see you both, and uh, you know Jim Collins is one of the finest defensive football minds and coaches. People around the whole game know that you legendary career and all that you've done, the places you've been. So. Thank you both for your contributions Ooh, to, I think we to football, stuck. college football. But let me tell you where my mind goes. Um, every day um, I'm looking for solutions because I do think we have that many problems. And so here's how I focus my mind on a daily basis. I try to really make sure that anything I think, I write, I send on to someone else, is all benefiting a college football player. Where I differ than most, it's not about giving them things. Yes, I want to share and improve the life of a college football player daily, but these are young people that are naturally busy anyway, okay? If it's done right, they're students. If it's done right, they're working 20 hours a week minimum. That's with your coaches. as a football player. Uh, Clouding that issue, we're losing sight of the mission. So when I say I I focus it toward a college football player, Uh, I'm literally almost writing a book of notes to share with football oversight, to share with whoever takes over for Todd Berry and the American Football Coaches Association. I'm in touch with, and I've got good friends and have for a while in Indianapolis that are the the workers. I don't know uh, Charlie Baker. I had not met him yet, but the people that are doing the day-to-day are terrific. Um, I I feel like I've got to be able to share things accurately with our ADs. I would love to have time with the commissioner to talk to our presidents to tell them what a coach's perspective. Mm -hmm. And when Greg Sankey called me, I wasn't planning on doing anything like this, but he said, I want you to consider coming to the conference office. We've never had a coach in place. Um, and this era right now with everything we're going through, we think it can benefit us certainly know that it'll benefit our coaches. So I hope it's done that. Uh, I make site visits. And I'll tell you, if you want to know what's going on in college football, go to the equipment room. That's the first place I go. Those guys know what's happening with players, what's happening with coaches. They'll say, you know, things like, hey, our coaches are so stressed out. And, hey, coach, can you help us get rid of these photo ops? You know, there's, there's stuff where unofficial visits, they're dressing out in full uniforms and people mm-hmm. don't think, that that looks cute right you know i mean i'm blessed to have an offer yeah i I understand that but there's a lot of people that don't make a lot of money that are working every weekend doing those photo ops it's hard somebody has to wash those uniforms after they put them on somebody has to size them somebody has to take the pictures somebody's got to set up the studio so um When I tell you five hours, I mean it. I'm gathering information because I don't like saying something to these administrators that are running the show. I'm as far as you can get from that. But I'm trying to be a conduit between coaches, but not just coaches, people in the organization, the football programs, and these administrators at every level. Um, it's an interesting task. Communication is one of the most difficult things we have in, in our world. If we communicated a little more clearly, we might not nearly have the problems that we have that we face every day in this world.
3: It is frustrating. And I was thinking back when Jimmy and I were talking about having you on the show this week, and we put together an outline. It was before Dave Doran, a guy you know very well. Yeah. Coaching a position that you know very well, as well as anybody, the position of quarterback. And now he's gone from Brennan Armstrong to M.J. Morris. And now M.J. Morris, with only a handful of games left in this regular season, says, I'm not playing anymore. I want a red shirt. So my reaction to that is I want to know what you think. Because how would you deal with a kid hmm. And in this day and age, who says, hey, I'm perfectly within my rights to say, I'd rather have a full other year knowing what I know now than to just play off what will not be a championship season for the Wolfpack. How would you handle that, Coach?
0: Well, the first thing I don't know, is he redshirting to get in the portal? Is that the intention? Or is he just asking – to save me a another year here at NC state. Generally when that is stated, it's to get in the portal. Uh, and I'm, I don't know. So I'm not saying this about that youngster, but if somebody does that effectively, they've quit. Okay. You've just quit the team. And so I would remove them from all aspects of the team. You can't, technically take a scholarship away. Once they've signed the aid, they've signed that for that this semester. If you quit, it doesn't have to be renewed for the next semester. But that's a, that's a horrific trend. um, and a, a byproduct, nobody saw happening with the transfer portal. The people that were involved and I was in some of those meetings with oversight at the time I was still coaching there was a little bit of an innocence of not realizing the law of unintended consequences are going to show up. They were trying to be nice to the student athletes. Let's give them a one-time exception. You know, they deserve that opportunity. But here's what I would tell that youngster. You do this. When someone goes somewhere and you're not really sure you're even going to be there, you have eliminated any chance of greatness. If that's your goal, the only way we become great is you go and you're all in and you're bought in and you're where your feet are and you're going long haul. And I'm going to battle through every individual thing that occurs and your teammates are lifted by that attitude. You're lifted by that attitude. I just think it's a terrible byproduct. And I think if someone and you can't, they all the lawyers tell me, well, you can't win that court. I would like to see, would love it. If somebody did quit their team, mm-hmm. they wouldn't get immediate eligibility wherever they went, if that makes sense. So, you know, I had one uh, coach in California that I can't name called me in the off season. After the season last year, he said, my quarterback has come in. Well, he said, my a- the agent of my quarterback called me and yeah. said, for us to keep him, it's going to take us a half a million dollars more money. He said, what do you, what would you do? I said, well, I hate to give advice, but the first thing I wouldn't talk to the agent. I would want to have a meeting with this young man and his parents. And then I would want it clarified by them. What are you talking about? Or what are you unhappy about? Or what, what are your intentions here? And then if it still was laid on the table, that would way, I would say me personally, I can't imagine a manning doing that. I can't, I would tell him, don't let the door hit you on the butt on your way out.
3: Uh, <laughs> that's what I would say. It's, it's gotta be tough. I think for these coaches today, because ADs for the most part have no patience. They're looking for a microwave solution to flipping around a program. And then as soon as those coaches who are under that pressure get that opportunity, they're already looking for the next job because they know that maybe it's not sustainable. There was a day I was watching a documentary on the ACC network over the past week. It was about Clemson's 1981 National Championship. And it's Homer Jordan and Perry and all these different guys that are playing for Danny Ford right there, and they're talking about the bag man. And and the bag man is not in the shadows anymore. (laughs) Maybe they're stealing signs out there, but it is pure. (laughs) Coach, I'll even go like this. One of my very good friends is a group of five head coach right now. He told me a year ago that he needs a half million dollars to recruit and retain his existing roster Uh, that's crazy that, Mm -hmm. that, that just, I I don't know how coaches in 2024 will manage to that pressure from above and then the parallels and even from below from the players. Well, and, and let's go
0: back to what I said a minute ago, I've tried to verbalize and write that into a player's perspective. Nobody's going to worry about a coach that's making the kind of money those guys make today. They don't even like them. They like winning, right? Even right. their own bosses. So let's let's think a minute about what that does to a player when your very own coach and staff can't be all in and committed to you. We're not in this thing together for the long haul. It has become a what are you going to do for me and what can I do for you? That's never a very good relationship. And so I think we're hurting young people that look at the ages of these young people. So I, I tell our coaches all the time, I, I'm, I'm not spending my time worrying about you. I, I see your problems, but systematically we're hurting young people doing this. We, we are, um, you're choosing maybe the path of the rest of your life when you're choosing somewhere to go. You're also choosing maybe the path of the rest of your life when you suck it up and stay. But when I go to a group of five school and I'm having to make some money to do that, and once I get there, I'm playing great, and I either got to get more money or I'm gonna go somewhere else to get more money, you're devaluing the most important thing in a young person's life, and that's who you're with Day after day, including that locker room, and say that coach and that AD should be committed to that locker room. We're going to take care of those people the right way. And I'm all in. I'm not going anywhere. I'm not chasing money. I'll never forget when we were at Duke, uh, a lot of people were courting us, you know, with big money. We didn't make a lot of money at, at Duke. And uh, particularly in that era, And my mother heard something about it. She was still living at the time and she called me and she asked me one question. She said, have you been in those living rooms and told those young people you're going to be there? I said, yes, ma'am. She said, there's your answer. You're not going anywhere. I said, yes, (laughs) ma'am. I would like to see us teach commitment. You think about recruiting. We have a word called decommitment which basically basically suggest you were never committed, right? We even have one that says soft verbal. What does that mean? Did you whisper, hey, Mike, I'm coming? You know, (laughs) (laughs) what are we teaching about commitment? And I think we're all gonna be, all of us in athletics on our deathbed aren't gonna be firing rings and showing off rings. We're gonna be held accountable for what we did with the greatest resource we have, and that's our youth.
3: Coach, we went so long tonight that we're going to be able to use you for back-to-back weeks. So you'll be the (laughs) first-ever, first-half, second-half guest Uh, in the history of the North Carolina Sports Network. So we appreciate you.
0: Well, you don't know how much fun it is for me to see Jimmy Collins and to visit with him and share memories together. God bless you, man. Y'all take care. God bless you, Coach. Love you, Coach. Love y'all. See you later. Love you, Jim.
1: All right, Mike, thanks so much. When we come back, DG and I will go inside our XL Moving and Storage Big Four games of the week. That's next, right here on the Old North State Tailgate, presented by NC Pork. I'm Roy Lee Lindsay with the North Carolina Pork Council, and I want everyone to remember, bacon makes everything better. Sport Clips is like no other place you've ever gotten your haircut. Sports everywhere. TVs everywhere playing sports, and guy smart stylists who know how to give you the haircut you want and the haircut you need. You don't ever need an appointment, walk-ins are welcome, and you'll walk out feeling like an MVP, guaranteed. Be sure to ask about the MVP experience as it's something you just can't put into words. Awesome haircut, hot steam towel, invigorating shampoo, neck and shoulder treatment. It takes a haircut and turns it into an event. Sport Clips, a proud partner of the North Carolina Sports Network. The oldest restaurant in New Hanover County has a brand new look, feel and taste, making it the number one place for great food in Wrightsville Beach. Owner Jimmy Galise and his wife Keaton have poured their hearts and soul into the reformation of this North Carolina coastal classic restaurant and the impact has been fantastic. King Neptune serves fresh fish, chicken and steak and has an amazing wine and spirits to lift your dining experience to make it the best at the beach. Come taste the creations of Chef Chavez and you'll know that you have tasted a little bit of heaven right there in Wrightsville Beach. That's King Neptune. Call them at 910-239-3055 and make your reservation now. King Neptune in Wrightsville Beach, a proud partner of the North Carolina Sports Network. All right, DG, time to go inside our Excel moving in storage big four games of the week. And as we usually do, we'll start with one big game on the national scale. A couple of big-time programs in the Big Ten going at it. 9-0 Michigan on the road at 8-1 Penn State. There's a lot of stuff going on with Michigan's program off the field, certainly. But Penn State, their only loss was to Ohio State. And they really lack some offense in that game against the Buckeyes.
2: Yeah, realistically speaking, Chris, there are only about eight to ten teams with a realistic chance of making the college football playoff this year. Reminder to everyone, this is our final year of the four-team playoff bracket, uh, but these are two of those teams that still have a legitimate shot. Michigan 9-0, and number two in the rankings, Penn State 8-1 and in the top ten of the rankings, and as you mentioned, the only loss for the Nittany Lions, 20-12, to and that was at number three Ohio State. Michigan and Ohio State still have to face each other on the final weekend of the regular season. So that's one more loss that we know one of the top teams is going to have. During Michigan's 9-0 start, the Wolverines' defense, likely benefiting from a multi-year sign-stealing scandal to at least some degree, is giving up less than seven points per game, which is just an insane number in the year 2023. One other thing, having grown up in Pennsylvania myself and having been to Beaver Stadium multiple times, I can tell folks that if you have a chance to add something to your sports bucket list with a college sports angle, consider a trip to either Happy Valley, where Penn State plays, that's the nickname, or even Michigan Stadium. They are the two largest college football stadiums in America, and I'm telling you, if you go, you'll remember it. It's 106,000 plus that will be screaming mostly in favor of the Nittany Lions as they host the Wolverines in this particular matchup. Although Michigan leads the all-time series 16-10, to they didn't really start playing each other until Penn State joined the Big Ten Uh, years ago the Nittany Lions have won five of the last seven matchups played at Beaver Stadium so that's just a little historical tidbit as the Wolverines
1: are a four-point favorite heading to Happy Valley all right it's a four-point game in terms of of our friends in Vegas out of the desert right so do you like the Nittany Lions here or do you like the Wolverines to keep that undefeated season going
2: I'll take Penn State with the points especially. Um, I think it's just going to be a low-scoring grinder in all likelihood. And with all due respect, I mean, Michigan has a very productive quarterback, a future NFL player at running back, all sorts of talent on both sides of the ball. I do think that 100,000-plus environment makes it harder to communicate on offense, makes young people more likely to make uncharacteristic mistakes, as we see in college football every week on the road especially so i think penn state uh, probably has much of the nation rooting for it given the wolverines negative headlines lately uh, i wouldn't bet on this game at vegas chris but i if i
1: i had to i would take the nittany lions certainly with the points all right dg let's move a little closer to home now the big one in our backyard the battle for the victory bell We'll be in Chapel Hill for the Old North State Tailgate and Traveling Sports Circus on Saturday at the University United Methodist Church on Franklin Street. That's right across from Sutton's. Come see us from 5 to 7.30. And another primetime game, Duke in Carolina. Obviously, Riley Leonard, the Duke quarterback, his status is still very questionable. He's like the rest of us day to day as they head yeah. into the game against North Carolina on Saturday. But Drake May, the great quarterback for the Tar Heels, winding down his career and a lot for both these teams to play for in the grand scheme of things on Saturday night.
2: Yeah, as someone who's watched almost every snap by both of these teams, either live or on video this season, I think the bottom line as a starting point is that North Carolina should win this game under these circumstances. Mm -hmm. Why? The Tar Heels are at home. They are much healthier Than the Blue Devils right now. Mike Elko of Duke mentioned this week that he has several future NFL players, none of whom are going to play uh, against the Tar Heels this week. Uh, It's senior night for both the seniors, of course, but also redshirt sophomore quarterback Drake May playing his last game at Keenan Stadium. Mack Brown said that he gave Drake May the opportunity of trotting out there with the seniors to be honored in a senior-like fashion, even as a redshirt sophomore. And oh, by the way, Unlike the Blue Devils, who lost to Louisville head-to-head, the Tar Heels still have at least the possibility of a shot to be Florida State's opponent in the ACC title game. However, there is a serious question lingering behind all of those arrows pointed in the Carolina direction. Even though Mack Brown is the guy who has won a national championship, and Mack Brown is the guy who's already in the Hall of Fame, my sense is that if we polled ACC or college football fans and just asked, which of these two coaches would you win or would you pick to win a close game between somewhat evenly matched opponents? I actually think more fans would pick Duke's Mike Elko, last year's ACC Coach of the Year, over Mac Brown in terms of his ability to get his team to consistently play to its potential, uh, especially given the Tar Heels' recent face plants against a bad Virginia team at home and then that mediocre Georgia Tech squad on the road. Personnel-wise, this is one of the ACC's best offenses, Carolina, against one of the ACC's best defenses, Duke. I'm not saying this will be easy sledding for the Tar Heels. Duke is absolutely legit talent-wise and well-coached on the defensive side of the ball. But Carolina has record-setting quarterback Drake May and the ACC's best rusher in Omari Hampton. And a future NFL guy, probably, in wide receiver, Tez Walker. And one of the better tight ends in the ACC in Bryson Nesbitt, plus his backups. That is plenty of artillery to challenge that strong Blue Devils defense, even when it is at its best. When the Blue Devils have the ball, this will be the fascinating and harder to predict part for me. It will be that much maligned Carolina defense that has been sagging recently, taking on most likely... The true freshman, third string quarterback in Grayson Loftus, who didn't look ready for big time college football, even though he helped the Blue Devils defeat Wake Forest last week. If Mac Brown and the Tar Heels cannot exploit the set of circumstances that I just described in that Keenan Stadium environment on Saturday night, on senior night, they are going to prove their many doubters and their skeptics right one more time. If they beat the the Blue Devils, as they should, a lot of their dreams are still going to be within their reach.
1: You're taking the Tar Heels Saturday night.
2: I will take the Tar Heels. As you said, we don't yet know, as we are recording this, what to expect for Duke at quarterback. I just think the heels are flat out better, and it's up to the Hall of Fame coach Mac Brown to get his team to play to that level and their chance their last chance of the season to play in front of the Keenan Stadium crowd. I actually think the Tar Heels could win this game by double digits and maybe even run away with it. Uh, But they need to exploit the quarterback of Duke, whoever it turns out to be, the way they exploited the South Carolina quarterback by sacking him nine times, the way they exploited Pitts quarterbacks, the way they exploited the Syracuse quarterbacks, the Minnesota quarterbacks. I mean, I know most of those games were a little while ago, but it has been in these tar heels to at least occasionally play at that level on defense and against an opponent that has had quarterback issues, injury, and otherwise that's the number one task at hand. I think they'll get it done.
1: All right. Game three, two teams going in very opposite directions on Saturday. NC state back-to-back big wins for the Wolfpack. We talked about those over Clemson and Miami. And they're on the road at a Wake Forest team that is reeling right now. And you mentioned it earlier, the Deeks needing wins to keep their bowl streak alive. Seems like NC State has figured things out, DG. But they're going to a place in Winston-Salem that's been a bit of a house of horrors for the Wolfpack as of late.
2: Okay, in this one, although NC State has the better of this rivalry historically, Wake Forest has actually won nine of the last ten matchups played in Winston-Salem. And it will not surprise me at all if the Demon Deacons, who are fighting to keep Dave Clawson's school record seven-year bowl streak alive right now, if they do it again this year. We all know the X's and O's here. Both defenses are much better than both offenses. The same circumstances that the Wolfpack faced heading into its home victories over Clemson and Miami. But now we have the new dynamic, right? No more MJ Morris. That was an unorthodox unorthodox mid-season announcement where he doesn't want to burn another year of eligibility. If he plays another game, he will. And even though he's the starting quarterback, I don't think I've ever seen this before. Uh, It's one thing to dodge a bowl game, right, to protect your pro status. No, this is leaving your team as the starting QB at midseason to protect a year of eligibility. Uh, Maybe it is unprecedented in college football history. I don't know. Some of these dynamics are the same, but I wonder how the Wolfpack is going to react even after reinserting the previous starter, Virginia transfer Brennan Armstrong, into this picture. Uh, I don't like the Wolfpack under these circumstances on the road. Now, the Demon Deacons know against Armstrong or anybody else, they're going to have to create turnovers and limit mistakes to win. And they're going to need their veteran quarterback, Mitch Griffiths, who has slightly improved as the season has gone along after really struggling early. They're going to need Griffiths to deliver against what is an extremely aggressive and really confident Wolfpack defense right now. Someone's dreams are going to die on Saturday. It's either Wake's bowl hopes, because the Deacs still have to play Notre Dame later, so 6-6 and starts to look shaky if you lose to the Wolfpack, or it's State's dreams of maybe becoming only the second team in NC State football history to reach 10 or more victories in a single season. If the pack beats the Deeks with Armstrong back at the controls, and then you beat Virginia Tech in Blacksburg, and then you beat the Tar Heels in Raleigh, and then you win your bowl game, there's your 10 wins. All of that is easier said than done when it comes to that potential feather in the cap of Wolfpack coach Dave Doran. I am dying to see how the Wolfpack responds to this really bizarro world, MJ Morris mid-season announcement. We'll see. All
1: right, the final game we're going to talk about is actually a couple of games. We're into November, and there are a couple of teams in our backyard, DG, that are playing for conference championships this weekend. Big-time football being played at some of the other ranks besides the FBS level here in our state.
2: Yeah, a lot of folks who love college football might not realize that some of these D two conference title games are right here in mid November. So I'm glad you gave me an opportunity to squeeze these in. Bottom line, Lenore Rhine plays at Tusculum in the South Atlantic Championship game at the Division two level, and Fayetteville State plays against Virginia Union on a neutral site in the CIAA Championship game. That's also a Division two conference. Quick fun facts: going back to the year 2010. The two winningest college football programs in North Carolina at any division level are App State and Lenore Rhine. So the Bears of Lenore Rhine are nine and one. They're favored over Tusculum to win the South Atlantic title this weekend. They're ranked number fifteen in the national D two top twenty five. They've been in the top twenty five all season. The Bears are looking for their eighth South Atlantic title since the year two thousand and ten, and it would be their first. Under their fourth year coach, Mike Jacobs. So good luck to the Bears, who again do have to do it on the road. I don't love this rule, but the way the South Atlantic does it, rather than the higher ranked team or the better record team hosting the conference championship game, they flip flop it. You know, divisional winner this year, the opposite divisional winner gets it the next year. That's why Lenore Ryan at nine and one has to go on the road to face a six and four Tusculum team. Change that rule if you can. I like to reward the better regular season. And in the other one, Fayetteville State going against Virginia Union in that CIAA championship game. They've been a member of the CIAA since 1954. But only since the turn of the century have the Broncos of Florida State been a significant player in that league. What do I mean? Well, they've gone from zero conference titles in almost the first five decades of their CIAA existence to now they're going for their fifth CIAA title in the last 22 years. And if they get it done, it would be their second in a row under their eighth-year coach, Richard Hayes, Jr., the Broncos are eight and two overall. They are a perfect eight and zero in conference play this year. They've even beaten Virginia Union head to head during the regular season back in September. They won ten to seven on a really rainy day that limited both offenses. I hope they get better weather this time. Uh, that was the only loss for FSU's opponent, Virginia Union, which is nine and one. Only loss again to Fayetteville State, their opponent on Saturday. Virginia Union is ranked number 18 nationally in the Division II polls. FSU is unranked. So good luck to Lenore Ryan and Fayetteville State from our backyard with those two different conference championships on the line at the Division II level this weekend.
1: And that's the perfect segue into our closing thoughts presented by Organized for Success. DG, give us a couple of thoughts and get us out of here for this early November edition of our Old North State Tailgate.
2: Yes, Chris, as in NFL legend Mike Singletary's famous rant and meme here at the Old North State and Traveling Sports Circus, we want winners, (laughs) and we will celebrate those winners on our various wide-ranging platforms here at the new North Carolina Sports Network. Among in-state college football programs, we are running out of candidates for conference championships here in mid-November. But beyond those two Division II conference title games on Saturday that we just mentioned, we do have a half a dozen teams still in the running for league titles that will not be decided until later this month or even in early December. And then, of course, we do have various playoffs and bowl games to look forward to as well. At the FBS level, all seven of our in-state teams either have been eliminated from their conference title chase or, in the case of UNC and the ACC, they must win out and get some help to become that team that faces Florida State and Charlotte in early December with the ACC title on the line. Right now, Louisville is the most likely opponent to face the Seminoles at Bank of America Stadium. Again, remember, Louisville not only has a better conference record than Duke, but they beat the Devils head to head if in case it came down to a tiebreaker. Louisville and Carolina do not play in the regular season. So the Heels have a somewhat less complicated but still difficult path to try to make it to that game. And I don't want us to forget because there are too few of these and too precious to forget at the FCS level. On the other hand, in stark contrast to what I just mentioned at our FBS level, four of our seven in-state FCS teams are still in the running. For their respective league crowns. Now some of them need help, but NC Central is in the driver's seat for yet another MEAC championship and maybe even another HBCU national championship. Elon, as we mentioned earlier in today's show, is still alive for the Coastal Athletic Association title. Gardner-Webb is still in the running for the Big South OVC championship, and Davidson, a non-scholarship FCS program, is well positioned for at least a share, of the Pioneer League title. Like Mike Singletary, we want winners. And I just wanted to remind everybody with our final thought that we still have a chance to have many conference champions. And again, come the, the true postseason, maybe even more success to celebrate beyond that. But we never want to let those big wins and big titles slide slide by. So good luck to Fayetteville State and Lenore Ryan this week. And of course, we're rooting for all those other in-state teams the rest of the way as well
1: we'll keep our pulse on all of that as you join us next week for another edition of the Old North State Tailgate. The Old North State Tailgate is an exclusive presentation of the North Carolina Sports Network. Our foundational partner is the North Carolina Port Council. Thanks again to all of our special guests. For David Glenn, I'm Chris Edwards signing off for this edition of the Old North State Tailgate, the official tailgating soundtrack of the 2023 football season right here on the North Carolina Sports Network. We'll see you next week for another edition of our show. So long, everybody.